I've got to get you dancing. I'm glad you started dancing. I, I think in addition to Twitter and YouTube live, we also need to get this on TikTok and uh, we'll have to figure out that integration. <laughs> oh, I know nothing about TikTok, man. That goes way, way over my head. Are you on it? Do you use it? I'm uh, I'm a, a consumer. I'm, I'm not a creator. <laughs> I don't think I have that uh, developed that muscle or really have that bone in my body, but I, I think it's, I think it's maybe a 2021 thing to get started. I've heard, I've heard a lot of people have like become obsessed with TikTok mm-hmm. you, you, as a consumer. I, I know one, one of the guys I work with, uh, he jokes that he's on it four hours a night, but I bet he's not far off. <laughs> it's, it's just mega addictive, isn't it? I installed it for a bit and then deleted it because I was thinking this is evil, this platform. The algorithm is really quite smart and it's really quick. Um, there's a trend going across TikTok right now um, that kind of came out of the UK, this guy just singing like Irish shanties. And I listened to my first Irish shanty and all of a sudden now I'm stuck in this section of Twitter. That's just like shanty Twitter or TikTok rather shanty TikTok. I'm like, how does it know? Like it, it just really catches you really quick. And it's, it's impressive what they built. It's, it's actually quite fascinating as well, the way it works, because I remember watching the first video. I, I signed up to it maybe, I don't know, eight months ago. And I watched a video and I thought, right, the only thing I want to consume on this platform is cat videos. So I found a couple of cat videos. They were funny and everything. And then I started realizing, and I didn't know this about TikTok when I first joined it, that people remix the music as well, don't they? So... Yeah. You've got this weird thing going on where people are remixing other people's videos, but people are remixing people's music as well. It's like retweeting on steroids or something. Yeah. I, I was actually talking to my wife yesterday about, I was like asking her, I was like, man, remember in, in the US, we obviously watched a lot of MTV when we were growing up and it was like TRL. Uh, was like the show where every artist would kind of come on in the afternoon. This was like when I got home from high school, every, every single day there would be like top 10 music videos to watch. And then they'd have like some sort of guest and musical artist there. And I was asking her, I was like, what, like, I understand like we're no longer sitting in front of a TV. We're sitting in front of our phones. I was like, what's replaced TRL? And she's like, TikTok. I mean, a lot of these artists are, are literally releasing their songs on TikTok in hopes that some sort of a viral dance or some sort of viral moment will happen. And they're, they're also creating the, the, the nudges within the TikTok community to almost create that sort of virality. You know, you give a, you give a sneak preview of a song to one of those TikTok influencers two weeks before it launches and they'll create something for you and they'll bring it to life. It's, it's impressive. Just the new kind of ecosystem that we're living in. And uh, I mean, social media is really different when you start thinking about what TikTok is doing, because it's basically all, all algorithmic, right? Like you don't go on there and just follow your friends. Like I, I, first of all, none of my friends are really on there. And if they are, they're, they're not creating. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they really kind of have done something really remarkable there. Right? It's it, interesting. It, it is interesting, but I guess there's two things I want to talk about. Obviously the book, obviously we're going to get to the book and now you're like a international celebrity author now (laughs) um and i also want to talk about twitter 
rather than TikTok, let's put TikTok aside, even though it's funny and cat videos are good. I want to talk about Twitter because I think that's where I first met you, right, on Twitter. I think you're in the visualized value community, right? Right. But we never, I never really spoke to you in there. And somehow this, this way that Twitter works and we're all part of this same kind of community, I, I found you on Twitter. And as I do with a lot of people on Twitter, hit you up in the DMs, we chatted for a bit and we, we started talking about what you were doing and things like that. And I seem to remember when I was chatting to you, you didn't mention a book. And uh, and then and then since then we kind of parted ways a little bit and I saw your tweets and I interacted, but I wasn't talking to you regularly. And then I saw the book, The Underdog Paradox, available everywhere on Amazon and good bookstores. And I saw the book and I was like, wow, Jamie wrote a book. And then I started looking a bit more into it and you left your job and you were writing this book and now it's an Amazon bestseller. And I've started reading the book. I'm about halfway through it and it's fantastic. But the underdog paradox has turned into an underdog story for you, right? You, you've you've elevated yourself out of where you was to somewhere else. Tell me about that, what, this journey you've been on. Yeah, it, it's been a, a wild ride for sure. And when I, I'll, I'll share the whole story, but when I jumped on Twitter summer of 2020, really, I, um, I, I wasn't sharing with the world publicly that I was working on a book. And Part of the reason for that um, is because I needed to first like develop some sort of a baseline reputation as a creator on the internet. I I was not a a writer that had 50,000 newsletter subscribers before writing a book, right? I was not a a writer that had a hundred thousand followers on Twitter. I I was a, a writer that, was really interested in carving my own path, creating my own sort of career as a creator. And when I got on Twitter this past summer, the idea was to first and foremost, start finding other friends that were carving their own career paths as well. And I wanted to start there because I thought that whenever my book arrived, whenever I was done with it, that they would be the type of people that would be really interested in the type of content that I was writing about. So I kind of had like this persona in the back of my mind of who might be inspired by this. I also knew that I wanted to be like them. And I knew that if I could come onto Twitter and start introducing to my myself to others, not in a, Hey, I'm Jamie and I'm going to write this big book. Um, but rather Hey, I'm Jamie and I want to get to know you at more of a human level. I thought that would really resonate with people a lot better. Um, so my, my strategy around like the launch and, and my strategy around using Twitter to find friends and not followers and, and not like necessarily just plan on like building an audience for building an audience's sake has worked really well for me. Um, I, I, you know, got so much enjoyment out of being able to share this announcement in December with like the Twitter sphere and being able to watch it kind of just take off like a freight train 
on its own after having developed all of these friendships really organically over the last six to 12 months was something I really got to enjoy. And so rather than feeling like I was building friendships that were highly transactional, mm-hmm. um, I was instead just starting to build like an organic underlying community. And I think what I've, what I've found is through this, and I, I think we're all starting to find this as well, um, just starting to form like lifelong friendships with folks. And the beauty of Twitter is we're constantly out there uh, just building our friendships kind of in public in some, some ways, in some respects, it, it just makes it so easy. I, I think what's just so fascinating about Twitter, the kind of side that me and you inhabit is that it seems like every day somebody's making something new that's cool that you've not seen and then they launch it and you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then the day after somebody else has made something cool and you're just in this in this crazy feedback loop of feeling like you need to make something next because somebody else just made something yesterday. Uh, and it, it's, really, it's really inspiring. In fact, that I saw you write the book and it made me want to write a book. And that's that's the beauty of, of this side of Twitter, I think. Um, the thing I do want to say, though, ask you rather, is why did you write the book? Yeah, I, I have had the opportunity to work with and meet and spend time with alongside some of the most extraordinary people that I think like even exist in this world. Um, and I really wanted to share their stories from the perspective of giving them, uh, I, I wanted to share their stories through giving them basically a platform to uh, inspire others. I think a lot of the people that I write about in my book have built really extraordinary businesses. Like in the sense they could have written a business book about all of the businesses that they have built. But instead of doing that, I really wanted to hone in on the stories and really humanize them from a perspective that oftentimes gets lost. So the first character in my book, he is a former refugee from South Sudan who's building a video game business that builds video games for peace and social impact. And his whole personal story is something that has really inspired me. Over the last two years, I've had a chance to work really closely with him. And um, I thought that by sharing his personal story, it would help all of us begin to find underdog stories in ourselves um, and kind of more in everyday life. And he has this story that is probably one that no one else will ever have. It's very unique to him. You know, at the age of 13, he saw his first computer ever. Uh, Growing up in a refugee camp in Northern Uganda, he had never seen a computer until he was 13 years old and standing there at a refugee registration center, he asked his mother what it was. And she was like, it's, it's a computer. And he asked her, he said, he's like, I want one. And his mother working as a seamstress earned $7 a month. Um, but she saved money for three years to buy her son a computer because she thought in doing that, it would give him hope. And show him that 
no matter what you want in life, if you work for it or work towards it, you can make it happen. And having a computer <laughs> for Luol was an immense responsibility. He was worried. He said he needed to use it for good because if he didn't, his mother would never trust to buy gifts for his younger brothers. He needed to teach himself the most powerful way to use a computer so that everyone else in where he grew up would have hope that there was a way out for them too. And so Luol walked three hours every single day just to get access to electricity so he could charge his computer. Um, on one of those trips, somebody introduced him to a video game. They downloaded a disc uh, that had Grand Theft Auto Vice City on it. <laughs> and he thought to himself like, wow, like what is this thing? Like, did this fall from heaven? Like he grew up playing soccer and cards. He had never seen a video game before, but he noticed just how powerful it was. And um, over the course of two, three, four years, um, he, he taught himself how to build games while living there. And after producing his first game, which is called Salam, which puts the player in the shoes of a refugee, he posted it on his Facebook page and the story just went viral. And all of a sudden he finds himself being invited by folks from within the indie gaming community all over Africa to speak at some of the largest gaming conferences. And from a large conference in South Africa, he ended up getting an invitation to LA and long story short, he's now you know, here in the U S and he's building more games for peace and social impact and has just had such an extraordinary effect on me that I, I wanted to, to be a part of um, helping share his story. I, I could just listen to you for 45 minutes just telling these stories because they're, they're just amazing that I, I was, I was actually rereading his story earlier today because when, when I started reading the book, I found his story so inspiring on, on, on so many levels, even just the, the simple example of having to walk three hours to charge his laptop, to download stuff and then walking back three hours and then starting work. Just that story is just amazing. And it just immediately made me think, and the whole book is, the bits I've, I've read so far, about half of it, the whole book is just full of these inspiring stories, one after another. And it just makes, it makes me think when, when I, particularly when I read the first story, who am I to moan or uh, cry about anything when, when I've had computers nearly my whole life and I've got ready access to the internet and I'm here moaning that I have to work from home because the pandemic's hit again and we're in lockdown again. And it, ju it just puts everything into perspective, everything into perspective. Yeah, I didn't know what direction this book was going to go when I started. I thought when I began writing that I was going to be writing an investment thesis for why I thought investors should invest in underdogs. Mm. I thought there's some intangibles about these human beings that I, I share stories about in my book. There's some intangibles, I don't know what you want to call it, the it factor, whatever else, but there's something very, very special about them. What ended up happening through the course of studying them though, is I didn't need to write an investment thesis for why I thought they were extraordinary. <laughs> I needed to unpack 
their mindsets because I thought that the way each of them think and operate is almost through this perspective of I've already overcome so much. Like there's literally nothing else that can stop me from reaching my next goal. And I wanted to understand that um, because that mindset is, is really powerful. And one of the ideas that I unpack in my, in the second half of my book is this idea of kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy and the idea of a self-fulfilling prophecy can have a couple different meanings, but the main idea is if you can see it, if you can imagine it, if you can believe in something so strongly and you apply your actions towards it, you can create that. So for example, Luol wanted to build a video game. He lived in a refugee camp and didn't have access to any coding classes. <laughs> um, but he just thought like, if I could create a, a game for people here where I live, like it'll give all of them so much hope. And just through hard work and grit and perseverance and resilience and all of those words that I use, like he did it. Right. And, and in so like psychology and sociology, there's a lot of really powerful ideas around, around, this concept of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And in the Twitter world, I think we've seen a couple of people start to use this term this year, this idea of like belief capital. Belief capital is something really interesting. It's this idea that if you believe in someone else, they begin to believe in themselves. And so the moment someone like Jack Butcher, who I admire very much, says, wow, Jamie, like I love what you've done and amplifies my voice on Twitter, man, that makes me want to really work harder, yeah. <laughs> right? Not only does it give me creative confidence in what I've already created and built, but, and that's, that's really important, but also it makes me think, you know what, maybe I, maybe I am onto something, like maybe I am moving in the right direction. And so belief capital in sociology is kind of concept is called the Pygmalion effect. And this Pygmalion effect is the idea, you know, when you're a little kid, you have a teacher that tells you you suck at math. Well, maybe for the rest of your life, you're going to think, I'm just not a math person. Right. You know, if you fail a test and your parents are, you know, on your case and you get a bad grade on a report card or something, what the way that other people perceive you starts to become the way that you perceive yourself. And so there's a lot of really interesting dynamics like that, that I think are interwoven into this book in a really beautiful way that we see play out on Twitter all the time. And I think in the indie hacker kind of community, I, I, I think there's... There's, there's a lot of these concepts that I think will really resonate with people, um, whether or not it, uh, it sinks in on the first read or not. But um, yeah, I love it. I, th I think that, that belief capital things uh, is really important. Um, have you read Psycho-Cybernetics? No, I haven't. It's, it's, got, it's got a really technical title, um, but it, it's quite an old book now. Um, but the book, the book is just about self-image, essentially about self-image. So it's written by a guy, um, a plastic surgeon, basically, and he, he he's doing plastic surgery on 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 everybody, obviously, because it's his job. And he starts to realize this thing where certain people change when their appearance changes. So they. Uh, whatever kind of plastic surgery they have, they feel prettier or they feel more intelligent or whatever, and they change as a person. 
But what interested him most was the people who didn't change. So the people who used to look what people would objectively say ugly on the outside, you know, they might have a scar on their face or whatever, and then they get plastic surgery to remove the scar. Afterwards, they still feel ugly and they still call themselves ugly and they still act ugly. Uh, And he he did a bunch of research on this and he, he eventually... Uh, became a psychologist as well, and he wrote a book before Psycho-Cybernetics. But then he wrote Psycho-Cybernetics, and the book is all about this idea of self-image. And he, the, the book essentially arrives at the point of, of what you're talking about, that uh, when we believe in ourselves, we become what we believe. And it doesn't matter what our external circumstances look like or say that we should be, if we ultimately don't believe it ourselves, if our self-image is ugly, or if our self-image is low self-esteem, or if our self-image is, has no confidence, we project that out to the world, and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think the idea is quite similar. Yeah, there's there's two competing ideas that I wrestle with in my book. Um, the first is is very related to that story of like a teacher telling her student or his student that like they failed or they're not not good enough. And oftentimes that could cause a student to kind of spiral out of control in a way where they fall out of love with a subject. Let's just say math, because I think it's an easy one for all of us to grasp. Um, All of a sudden throughout the rest of that person's life, they might say like, "I'm, I'm not a math person. In psychology, this is called, this concept is called learned helplessness. And it's, you know, this idea, Luol could have looked at his situation in two separate ways. He could have looked at himself and said, I'll never leave this place, or I'm going to do everything that I can to get out of this place, right? So in psychology, they combat this idea of learned helplessness with this idea of learned optimism. And this is a a kind of common way that um, one might, Uh, use behavioral psychology to combat things like depression or anxiety. Um, And the idea of learned optimism is actually just kind of reshaping in our own minds, the way that we, we view our our circumstances. And as a simple example, the colloquial, the the common language we might use in this case is like viewing the the half uh, viewing the glass half full as opposed to half empty. But I don't think that term really usually resonates with people. Um, in, in studying learned optimism, what psychologists found is there is a really simple way for us to change the way that we think. And it's through, they use this term like ABCs. Um, so for example, I'll use a sports analogy. You're playing the best team in the league tomorrow. You can view this situation two ways. You can either think, oh, we're going to get destroyed by this team tomorrow. Or you can think, I cannot wait until we can show that we have a chance of beating this team. I usually say there's this underdog mantra. Underdog mon- the underdog mantra is uh, underdogs don't say I can't. They say I'm going to prove I can. When you change the way that you think about that game tomorrow, if you think you're going to get crushed, you're going to go to sleep not even thinking about preparing for that game, right? Uh, I think like the common example for me is like if, if I think a, a presentation is going to go poorly at work, man, there's probably like no chance I'm going to spend 20 hours this week like focusing on that deck, you know? Yeah. Um, but if 
I can change the way that I think about that presentation or if an athlete can think about a different way of approaching that game against the best team in the league, um, you can really change the outcome. And not to say that every single underdog is going to go up against a Goliath and win, um, but really there's a lot of science that backs up that idea that if you change your approach and change your mindset and change the way that you, you prepare the day before, it can entirely change the outcome. So um, I think I think belief capital is a really interesting idea because, uh, you know, the way that folks describe it on Twitter, it's this idea that, you know, when others believe in you, you can believe in yourself. I would challenge that and also say, if you believe in yourself, first and foremost, you can do it too. Um, and it's all just kind of our approach and our mindset. Do you think on, on a simple level, it's confidence? Confidence in yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really easy uh, way to think about it. Maybe it's that... Not that confidence of, is simple, because it yeah. isn't. <laughs> but um, I, th- that's the way I've kind of thought about it. If If you feel confident in yourself you ultimately care less about what other people are going to think about what you do and you just do it anyway for you yeah yeah i i think i think confidence is a really important piece of it um and i think having like self-confidence is almost like one of those innate abilities of a lot of those folks that are able to kind of channel that it factor no, I don't write about some of these examples from Hollywood, but just imagine I've heard really great stories about like Lady Gaga just literally walking into a room and thinking like, yeah, I belong there, like far before she'd ever made it, mm. right? So I think confidence is a really good way to think about it. Um, I I start to um, use, use terms in my book to begin breaking down that concept of the it factor. And, and some of it I think is certainly confidence, Um, I think some of that confidence stems from being comfortable with ourselves. And I think that there is a way to project confidence um, on, on the internet and in the real world in a way that isn't necessarily showcasing like your true and authentic self. I think there's a superpower in our vulnerability and our ability to be kind of authentic out there and, and truly confident with who we are. Uh, I think that's one of those incredibly special things that uh, gives us the ability to kind of attract others in a way that's really magnetic. Um, But yeah, I I think when it comes to, when it comes to this idea of like what helps underdogs succeed, I I, I think the word I use is hope. I think confidence is a big piece of that. I I think um, what's quite interesting is a point you mentioned earlier about underdogs. Um, particularly about Lual, he, he's faced so much in his life that the actual thing he wants to do, in this case, was make a video game. That's the easy bit, right, isn't it? They, they've faced so much else in their life and so, so much other adversity that when it comes to actually doing the thing that they want to do, they, they've got this massive back catalogue of often negative memories but times that they've pulled through, times that they've persevered, times that they've gritted through, times they've faced adversity, that when it comes to actually doing the thing that you or I might be quite impressed by, that's almost easy for them, isn't it? Yeah, 
Luol is a, a great example. Luol's mission in this world, I wouldn't even say like in this lifetime, but Luol's mission and his desired legacy is to help be a proponent for world peace. And when Luol starts talking about creating sustainable peace, uh, he thinks about it in terms of generational change. He thinks about it in terms of like, what effects can he have on the, on the next generation, the young people, so that when they raise their children, they're raised with uh, the best possible morals and values so that when those children grow up, they're able to then raise their children with the best possible morals and values. And when I think about that, I think, yeah, like creating Luol's next game, that's literally just one tiny step in a 300 year legacy that he wants to you know, create. Um, he knows that a lot of this stuff isn't going to happen during his lifetime. Ever since he's been, you know, before he's been born, his country has been torn by one of the worst civil wars of the last century. So his hope is that he can teach young people that there are options. You know, his games teach young people that you don't have to pick up a gun. <laughs> you have the ability to protect your community. Um, and, and I think in doing that, it, it goes to show like, yes, his, his next game is just a, a tiny piece in this much larger puzzle um, of his. And, and I think it, it's something that has inspired him to just say like, yeah, no, no doubt. I'm going to do it. So how has it changed you writing this book? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, cause you were a corporate, well, you, you were, work, you were working for a boss basically like last time I spoke to you and you, you, you would seem to the way you described it, you was working a corporate job at a big company. So this, this is a big change. Yeah. I, I have always been someone that has been interested in like carving and creating my own path. Both of my parents are small business owners and I've always wanted to have like something small that I could call like my own. Yeah. And, and I think in several ways, this book, as you alluded to at the beginning is, is a bit metaphorical. Uh, at no point do I ever compare myself to any of the underdogs in this book. They're all extraordinary human beings, but through doing this, it has enabled me to craft my own sort of like hero's journey or hero's story. Um, and I've been able to do that because I've used a moment in my life of being laid off from one of my dream jobs as motivation to start going off and carving my own path. Um, so I think the way that this book has changed me is in a lot of different ways. Number one, um, a year ago, I would have never thought about my myself as much of a, a writer. Um, I have always enjoyed writing, but I never had considered exploring it as a potential career path. You're going to disappear into that light. Yeah, I'm going to disappear in this light. <laughs> um, I had a fleeting interaction this past year with James Clear on Twitter and I can't recall exactly what the, 
what sparked it, but I think he was doing an AMA on Twitter and I asked him a question. I said, like, when you started off, how much of your career trajectory was planned and how much of it was serendipity? And his response to me in that moment was a little bit of both. He knew that he wanted to work for himself. He had no idea that he was going to be a writer, Hmm. you know? And I think that's very true for me as well. And I think at this stage in my journey, I think the best way to describe me in the moment is as an author and as a writer, but at the same time, I'm not sure what the next 10, 15, 20 years look like, but what I do know is I want to keep creating things and whether they are more books or uh, digital products or physical products or whatever it is. Um, I know that's the direction I, I want to go in and I want to build things for myself so that I no longer have to be reliant on a paycheck and a W-2 and, and another employer um, because truth be told, the you know first chapter of my life, I've closed that now with this book and uh, and I really never want to have to be reliant on anyone else again. How long, so you, you said you got laid off. How long did it take you to kind of pick yourself up and say, right, this is it. I'm going to, I'm going to write this book and release it. Um, so I, my last day, uh, I, you know, walk into the room, they kind of let like 20 of my team members know, like today was going to be our last day. And I walked out of that room thinking, man, I just handed in my laptop. Like, I don't have a computer anymore. (laughs) (laughs) What am I going to do? I immediately hop on the subway and I go down to the Apple store and I buy a computer and kind of like in that moment, the the man in the Apple store asked me, he's like, so what are you going to be using this for? And I was like, man, I don't, I don't know, but I really want to be a writer. (laughs) And he's like, oh, oh, okay, great. Um, uh, That next Monday, I set a goal. I told myself I was going to write. 500 words a day for 90 straight days and just see what happens. Um, at the, at the time I thought I was going to use that writing as a method to like secure my next job. I was like, I'm going to write my way through this and I'm going to share everything that I've learned with, you know, everyone else. And, uh, and I started just writing about like business. I started writing about fundraising and raising capital. I started talking about like hiring and building companies. I started writing about growth hacking and like all these topics that like I had needed in like the previous stage of my career. Um, And then I started writing about people and those were the topics that I really personally enjoyed writing about the most. I knew I had met some amazing people and I didn't realize that by writing about and sharing their stories, it would help me channel that creative energy. It would help me get inspired to want to build things. It was helping others as well. Um, So my my path this year uh, kind of started with a blog on, on LinkedIn of all places. And through that, 
discovered that I didn't necessarily want to write to get my next job. I wanted to write for me. And um, that's really kind of what brought me eventually to Twitter is because the, the audience members that I had connected with on, on LinkedIn, I kind of like grew my LinkedIn newsletter from zero to 8,000 subscribers in three months just by publishing every single day. But none of those people were the type of people that I wanted to like network with yeah. <laughs> and become friends with. Uh, it was kind of too corporate-y and too buttoned up. Um, so that's what drew me to Twitter this past summer. And ever since then, it's been just connecting with other writers, connecting with other creatives and really starting to form that like foundation upon which I was able to, to launch this book. And so we'll see. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm really enjoying kind of the serendipity about it. I, I kind of love that quote from James and we'll just kind of continue to follow that on my own. I think what's beautiful about Twitter is like everyone's releasing cool new stuff all the time. And the stuff that really resonates the most with people, I think are kind of those new and original ideas. So I'm just, I'm just out there kind of hunting for the next thing. So, so you, so you wrote the entire book in the second half of 2020 then, was it? Yeah, I had some sort of a draft that I submitted to my publisher uh, in June. And honestly, I, I submitted it. I was like, oh, I'm so glad that like milestones behind me. And I got a, a message back from the publisher saying like, we're going to green light you for a December publication. And I thought to myself, like, crap, like, I don't, I don't know if that's actually the book I want to write. <laughs> um, you know, you kind of have to send them like an introduction in your first two chapters. Um, I had like a full manuscript and, you know, I, reworked it a couple of times, but I think by the time this book, by the time I hit publish, um, I'd probably rewritten the book like at least five times. Uh, it, it really started as this idea, like uh, kind of coming out of the corporate world and being this like guy with like an MBA and like kind of this like business kind of brat. I thought I was going to write a book so that I could start a venture capital firm and invest in underdogs. Like, that's what I thought I was doing when I started. And then I realized, like, that's not what I want to do. Um, it has nothing to do with what I want to do. I just want to be a, a creative. Like, I just want to write for the sake of writing and, and build things and just put them out in the world and see what happens. Like, I don't, I don't want to be a, a, a corporate VC or, like, all that stuff that I thought I was striving towards, uh, you know, my my. I don't know, last, last chapter of my life. So yeah, it, it's been a really fun journey. It, it's helped, you know, writing is one of the best ways to kind of get to know yourself. Uh, for me, it was a, a almost like therapy really. And, and it, it's helped me get more clarity around, around what I want to do. That said, I just shared with you, I have, I have no idea what direction I'm going in, but I know that if I can kind of follow some signals and appreciate kind of the serendipity around all of it, it'll eventually eventually lead me in the right direction. I think now now you've written the book, you've you already got, and it's a success, you've already got massive signal from that. And I I really like this this idea. And I'm, and I'm glad you eventually arrived on this method that you started writing and you wrote what you wanted to write and eventually it's worked out. 
And I really like that idea of creation when it's that way around, where you write or make what you want to make, which is for you first, which feels right in the moment, and then you publish it or, or you make it or whatever and then see what happens from it. I think that's, a, with the, with everything we've got around us now, with, with Twitter and the internet and everything from Amazon, you can make a book dead easy, and everything from Gumroad to being able to sell things, <clears throat> I think we live in a really magical time to be able to, to do that, to be able to just make, make, make stuff, find out what resonates with people and then just make more of it. It's, it's so beautiful. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I, 10 years ago, maybe it would have been fun and cool to launch a big company, but the coolest thing that I can possibly be doing right now is just creating things for myself. <laughs> And hopefully helping a few others. I mean, I think what we do see, I, I, I talk about this idea a lot of like for the last six to 12 months, I've really just been out there trying to find Jamie market fit, like fill in the blank, but whoever it is, like I, I'm just trying to figure out like what really resonates with my friends or my audience or uh, the people that have like met me. And, and I think to find my Jamie market fit, it requires constant experimentation. It requires constant, just like pivoting and listening to signals. As a writer, one of the most difficult things I'll tell you, I, I published over a hundred articles last year. I think I wrote maybe 75 newsletters in addition to that. I uh, have written 20 essays in the last two or three months. I, I, I almost got no feedback. Yeah. You know, you, as a writer, you, you don't, you don't get like <laughs> reviews, like uh, zero five-star reviews, uh, in 2020, uh, <laughs> until you write a book, you know, and, and you publish it and then your reviews start rolling in on Amazon and you're just thinking like, wow, like I, I created something that like other people have read and you get those messages in your DMS and someone's like, man, I read your book. And as a result, like I created this thing yeah. and I'm like, man, that's like the most incredible thing. Um, and even like within 24, 48 hours of, of announcing it on Twitter, like I've, I've got people who are like remixing some of my ideas with really cool visuals on, on Twitter. And I'm like, man, these, these kids are kind of like <laughs> kids, <are> like <laughs> these people are like finding some of this content and really resonating with it enough where, like they, they want to make it their own too and they see themselves in it. And I'm, that's the most, I, I think that's the most rewarding thing is when people can kind of like see themselves in these characters. Yeah. Uh, even though again, like none of us can ever walk a million miles in, in any of their shoes, but when we can leverage these stories to get inspired ourselves to carve our own path, I think that's the most rewarding thing that I, I can take away from, from anyone reading this book. I think it's interesting that you say you've been trying to find Jamie market fit, but all I've ever known you as is kind of the guy who writes about inspiring people or writes about positive things or the, the blue heart on Twitter or the good notes thing. All I've ever known about it, the things that you've made is the things like the underdog paradox. 
You know what I mean? I've only ever known you as the guy that highlights um, really inspiring things. So, yeah, it, it, yeah. it's there's, interesting to hear you the, say that. There's that, there, I mean, this is sort of reminding me of, of that Steve Jobs quote of like kind of connecting the dots back. I, I think I, I, I've collaborated pretty closely with a couple of creators on Twitter this year. I've set up a couple of weekly accountability calls and one, one of them is uh, Robbie Crabtree. And what Robbie told me after kind of like clicking publish is like, wow, Jamie, like this, this makes so much sense now. Like I, I've been kind of following you and like all of your work. And like, now that I'm seeing something that you've produced like long form, like, like everything now is, is starting to make a heck of a lot more sense. And I think that is true for all of us, um, for anyone is that the more you create, the more you put out there in the world, not only is it helping you yourself figure out what your market fit is, but every tweet I write, every essay I produce, every newsletter I write kind of helps continue to enable me to build that online reputation for myself. And if I were to write 10,000 articles over the next 10 years, everyone will just get a clearer and clearer and clearer picture of who I am. And I think that's such a powerful thing. When I initially jumped on Twitter last summer, I had no online reputation whatsoever. I had a LinkedIn profile, <laughs> you know, I, um, like I, what, what do you even do? I created an about me page, right? Like the easiest thing you can do in like 30 minutes or less to like create like a digital presence for yourself. But, but I had, I had no reputation and I think developing friendships with other creatives on the internet has enabled me to start to build that foundation. I think by publishing articles, it's enabled me to start to build some of that foundation. I think by launching a newsletter, no matter how many people read it allows you to get in those reps and develop your digital footprint. And I think that's what we're seeing with a lot of people. Uh, the thing I love about it is again, it's, it's really kind of an underdog mindset. It doesn't matter who you are off the internet. You could be in high school creating some of the most prolific stuff on earth. And, uh, and I, I, I get on Twitter July, 2020, uh, I'm a nobody, you know, I'm on the same level footing as, as all of those other online creators. And whether you want to call it the wild, wild Western or whatever, like we're all starting from the, we're all starting from the bottom, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, um, that, that's something that's really neat and something I love. And, uh, I, I just, I'm enjoying being a, a part of that whole community. It, it, it is beautiful. I, I wrote a couple of threads the last couple of days about how I've promoted myself wrong for 15 years as a designer. And even, it, it, I've been a professional designer for 15 years and it wasn't until 2020 that I started to build a reputation as well um, because I was doing it in ways that it didn't work anymore, in ways that worked for older designers but don't work for younger designers and 
it, so even me, who, I, you know, even if you say I've got a decade of experience, but I've got a bit more than that, I have a lot of experience as a designer. So I am objectively quite good at my job, but nobody knew who I was. Uh, and, it, and it takes, even then, you could have been doing your craft for 50 years, and it still takes humility, really, to step online and look at your following numbers and say, and look at everybody else around you who you might say, well, they've got less experience than me, but they're more well-known than me. It takes humility to, to step into that arena with zero and start putting stuff out there. Uh, that was a big a big realisation for me in, in 2020 to just not care what other people think and just do it and just start saying things online and making things online and producing things online um, and not kind of care what what other people say about it, really. Uh, it's quite hard to do, but it, it's been very rewarding for me as well. Yeah. I don't know what happened last year. Um, I have a couple of, of ideas, but I think when you surround yourself with other ambitious people, when you surround yourself with other people that are humble and authentic and trying to figure things out themselves. Um, I think when you focus on like creating those connections and, and rather than worrying about the follower account and all of that stuff, just being like your true authentic self and creating that human connection, I think really magical things start to happen. My, my thought is, I mean, we've, we've all gone through the ringer last year everywhere on the planet, everyone has. And I think that through some of those traumatic experiences, uh, it really brings people together in a, in a special way. And I love the little corner of the internet that we have found because it is filled to the rim with so many amazing people that are just trying to carve out their own tiny little piece of the web and, and build something that isn't going to help them get rich quick, but build something sustainable for the long term that hopefully uh, we all can be really happy with and really comfortable um, by the time we're done. But I don't think we'll ever be done. I think that's part of the beauty of this. It's, we're all in this just for the growth, uh, like personal growth. I, I think a lot. I, we're all very curious. We all love trying new things and experimenting. And when you just keep doing that, whether it's linear or exponential, there's uh, there's definitely some growth there. I think what's really beautiful about it is that even with you writing the book, no matter what it is that everybody's producing on our little corner of Twitter everybody is doing it for the self. They're doing it for personal growth. Uh, they're doing it for the right reasons. And I think that's why when you release something like the underdog paradox, it does so well because it comes from the right place. You wrote it for the right reasons. You made it for the right reasons. And, and even though it's full of inspiring stories about other people, ultimately you wrote it for yourself. And I think that comes through when you read it. Yeah. I, I think one of the, 
the best examples. Maybe right now, I know Jack Butcher uses this term of like creating a, a well of re- reciprocity or a reservoir of reciprocity or just you know giving value and not expecting anything in return. Like an example of that is you know, announcing your book, uh, announcing my book, The Underdog Paradox. Not only do messages flood your inbox with congratulations, uh, but also the, the questions of like, how can I help? And the, like, even you, Craig, like reaching out to me and that, like offering to have me on the pod. And it's amazing. Like, I'm so appreciative. We we've created this community where we know we can create for ourselves, but we also know that we have support from an army of other creators that together, obviously, when our forces are combined, we can create stuff that's so much better than we can on our own. And you never know where, where you might need someone, or you never know when someone might reach out a hand and kind of lift you up. But um, through creating the way that we are and, and kind of being a part of a community of, of like-minded creators that are, you know, humble and authentic first and foremost, it's, it, it does wonders. And so I, for the listeners on here, <laughs> highly, like highly recommend you reach out to Craig, myself, anybody um, that you see kind of on Twitter and in our little community, because I think, I think there's a lot of people that are doing it right. And we're not going to be able to help you get rich quick. Absolutely not. But we'll be able to help you find a way to start carving your own path. Um, so that, you know, five, 10 years down the road, you have something super sustainable that, uh, I can't tell you from experience, but I can tell you, uh, <laughs> with my <laughs> optimistic, positive, hopeful attitude that there's a, there's a big opportunity up there on, on the other side of the hill. I'm leaving it there. That's perfect. <laughs> I, I don't think I could have finished it in any better way. Um, it's been a pleasure just listening to you speak about your book for an hour to listen to you talk about the stories. Um, it's fascinating. And I love how you went through your own underdog story and you was, like you said, nobody in the middle of last year. And now you are somebody with a book, a best-selling book. It's, it's, it's amazing. I love it. Do you, you want to, do you want to say anything to finish? Yeah. I mean, I, if, if there's anything that can be extracted from what I have written, it is about the characters about me, about anything. The idea is no matter who you are or where you're from or what you want to be, all of us have the ability to create and all of us have the ability to create for ourselves and for others and build our own future. Um, and that's really the most important thing. And um, the underdog paradox, I mean, <laughs> you can take it however you want to interpret it, but um, the idea is nobody is, nobody is too small and um, everybody has the, the ability to, to create. Beautiful. Um, so as you said, hit us up on Twitter, hit Jamie up on Twitter is Jamie Russo at Jamie Russo. Thank you so much, Jamie. And we'll chat again soon on Twitter. <laughs> thanks man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. See you soon.